This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. October to a close. Gotta break, get down all the co- cobwebs. Get all these yep. black cats out of here. You yeah, get out Mop of here, up witches. The yeah, go home, S- witches. Smash where your, you go. You can't stay here. Smash your gourds. Spooktober's over. Are yeah, gourds scary? Make, like, Billy Corgan and smash some pumpkins. Yeah, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the <sighs> books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. Uh, Andrew is mine name is that how you normally say that that's different yeah. that no time. that's no that's what i say every time huh i just never noticed that's it. i'm yeah, all i'm usually thinking about observant. my name um mm-hmm. so every week on this show one of us has read a book and we talk to the other person about it um so that they can kind of maybe be you the listener who hasn't read it or the person who read it can be the person who did read it it's like a fun role-playing adventure and all of October, we've been focusing on books that are either scary or deal with scary things like ghosts. And this week, I read Psycho by Robert Block. Now, I had never read this book before. Yeah, that's the conceit. Yes. It's the core concept of the show. So, so far, so good. Have you read this book before? I've not read the book, but I did see the movie once a million years ago. Okay, and that's a mis- that's a Mr. Hitchcock joint, right? That is, yeah, that was uh, Alfie Alfie <laughs> Alfie Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Alfie <laughs> Hitchcock. Alfie to his friends, um, and yeah, this is. I wanted to read this one a because it was not super long, and b because it's the movie is so canonized that I was like, what is at the bottom of this? What's down here in the basement of this story where it started in the foundation? Yeah. Cause you get, we can, we can talk about, we're going to talk a lot about block cause that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Cause we, you, you guys have all been around the block a couple of times. Yeah. Right? And if, you know, and if you're just joining us on this lap around the block, we talk about the author for a little while and then we take a break and then I recycle Andrew's joke and then I tell him about the book. That sounds, yeah, that sounds That's right. About the show. But um, he was not, he was not very involved in the movie. Like there are no. some authors who will like consult on the screenplay or or write parts of it themselves, and he did not do that. Um, the he sold the film rights for ninety five hundred dollars before um taxes, and his agent took a cut, and his publisher took a cut, which is around eighty two thousand dollars in twenty nineteen. Seems and like he not enough. No other, yeah, he, he received no other compensation after that once the movie was actually made and then once it became phenomenally popular. So, huh. Uh, just get <laughs> ret- retain a better agent than that is my advice well, and to then, young writers. So I know he, he was born in 1917, he died in 1994, and then four years after his death, Gus Van Sant 
just makes a shot for shot remake of the Hitchcock film for no reason starring Vince Vaughn. People did like there's a there is a Psycho 2 and a Psycho 3 and a Psycho 4 like in the in the movie mm-hmm. series and none of those had any contribution from Block at all like not even a book that it was based on Block actually wrote a book in 1982 called Psycho 2 great name for anything <laughs> and it was unrelated to the movie and the studio actually hated the book so much that they didn't invite him to screenings of psycho two and they tried to get him not to publish it that's awesome but he published it anyway and apparently it did okay because it was psycho two people love sequels yes um yeah in that one norman bates is in like an asylum and then he escapes and dies and then people start dying and it turns out that the like the the psychologist who had been working with Norman that whole time, like developed his split personality disorder because he got so upset that he wouldn't become famous for curing the infamous Norman Bates. Sure. That makes sense. And then there's another one that block wrote called psycho house in 1990, which I could find almost nothing about. It is my, yeah, it's my understanding um, that the titch, the like uh, eponymous Bates motel or hotel becomes a tourist attraction and you so i think it would have to be part of the name of the book to be eponymous oh you're right you're right you're right um so get out of here with your the psychos the psychos house becomes a tourist attraction and i guess that book deals with like the knock-on effects of of sensational crime which we've talked about books before where like the community's reaction to a crime and a murder becomes a, a big part of the story i am thinking about uh in cold blood a little bit yeah it's a big true crime thing yeah. like it's what every it's what every true crime podcast has become is yes. like halfway through and they're like and then we realized that there was no real story here <laughs> where we set out to find a story and so instead we'll present to you just like what people's reactions to the story we were trying to find now were. the most charitable versions of those this is s-town <laughs> the most charitable versions of those become like media critiques and i i get in i'm into that stuff but sometimes it's just like asking a guy on the corner what he saw or didn't see um so what else do we know uh, and then i one oh. one more thing okay about, so <laughs> somebody in 2016 wrote another psycho book Whoa! Um, and his name, his name is Chet Williamson. Uh huh. And I've done almost no research on Chet Williamson yeah. or his books. Uh huh. But I can definitely tell you that his Wikipedia page certainly reads like he wrote it himself. Yes, Chet. Because yes. there are a million citation needed things, and then like halfway through his biography, there is one sentence about a band that he was in with one of his friends from 2001 to 2007. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> and I so didn't good. know that I didn't know that there were still pages like this out there that people hadn't caught. Yeah, that's true. Cuz like once you make all of the big Wikipedia articles for like movie franchises and calculus theories and stuff, then you really need to dive down and make sure that everything is up to snuff and like how does Chet Williamson scoop by? I mean, he's gotten a he's got a lot of books that he's published over sure, 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 the sure. last like 30 years or whatever, but I don't think that merits you a page 
that is this long and has okay. filled with this many details. That's fair. <laughs> so um, uh, Chet Williamson, look him up. He was in a shout cool out to band. Chet. Yep. Uh, called Fire in the Glen from 2001 to 2007. All right, I'm going to put that on my Spotify. Uh, Fire in the Glen. Fiddler, with, with Fiddler Tom Knapp. So. <laughs> yes. God, I'm all so you, into uh, Chet Williamson now. All you, na- all you knapsacks out there. Oh, just know that man. He collaborated with the great Chet Williamson. <laughs> Perfect. Um, there was, uh, I think there also was like a TV show recently that's based on the Bates Motel or something. Um, Andrew, what do we need to know about Mr. Block himself before we get to the book? So he was super prolific. So my research on him is going to be pretty narrowly focused on mm-hmm. Psycho, but also on like how he came to be a writer and um, and how he got his start. So he wrote dozens of novels and hundreds of, of short stories. Um, and he got his start in Weird Tales magazine, which is kind of a pulp. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Horror yeah. slash like sci-fi magazine where, where a lot of folks publish stories. Um, and he was a big fan of HP Lovecraft who he, you know, later struck up a, a friendship with um, Lovecraft. So fun fact, the only story that Lovecraft ever dedicated uh, to anybody was dedicated to block. That's an interesting fact. And block is like kind of a, a late, like late teen. He, he is 20 years old when Lovecraft dies. Huh. So that's, that's impressive it's yeah it's it's an interesting like relationship across the generational divide i guess but block wrote a few stories that kind of contributed to lovecraft's mythos sure um and you know his his works gradually migrated away from lovecraftian horror into the more psychological stuff which Mm -hmm. is you know the book psycho is one of those yes his first because it's in the it's in the it's in the name yes his first novel was the scarf in 47 and i have a quote from him i don't know the source um where he's talking is it him yes Maybe it's from. <laughs> is, the... He the, is he the source of the quote from him? <laughs> yes. Um, that says, I realized as a result of what went on during World War II and of reading the more widely disseminated work in psychology that the real horror is not in the shadows, but in that twisted little world inside our own skulls. So that's him moving into the, the, the horror of the brain. Yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's inaccurate. But yeah, it's, it's kind of neat that he grew up reading weird tales like he started yeah, reading yeah. it at age 10 in 1927 and then upon graduating high school like a not even a decade later he um he gets you know he the first the first thing he had published in weird tales which i think is funny is a, a like a letter to the editor criticizing someone else's story <laughs> <laughs> But then he, at the age of seventeen, sold his his first short story to Weird Tale. So that's it's just kind of neat. It's a, it's a. I think we all have that that thing that we admired when we grew up. That you know, some every once in a while you get to contribute to it and like become a part of it, and it's just like a special. Oh yeah, thing that happens. I don't that's- know. That's the allure of like calling into a radio show too. Like I'm, the, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is like sure. making me think of a time when I was working a summer job in high school, and the radio show was talking about like random shows from late night MTV, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta call in about Syphil and Ollie and talk about Syphil and Ollie for thirty seconds before the producer hangs up on me." Like I gotta <laughs> do that, and imagine turning that into a career, which maybe I've sort of done. 
with this podcast. Arguably, you have. That's how a young Craig Geddon got his start. Um, um, so he he wrote tons of stuff through his entire life. Not not just psycho books. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. a lot of other stuff. Um, he won a Hugo. He won a Bram Stoker Award. He won a World Fantasy Award. He liked a pun. He did not like all a of pun. his stories. He did are, like are a pun. Pun related, but a lot of his short stories and in, in like the middle of his career had fun pun names like "Tales in a Jugular Vein," <laughs> "Out of the Mouths of Graves," uh, "The Laughter of a Ghoul," also known as "What Every Young Ghoul Should Know." <laughs> And such stuff as screams are made of. Those are the those are good puns. Those are the puns that I noticed in his uh, in his bibliography. Um, and before Psycho, this is, I think the last yeah. thing I I have about him that's not about the book or about Norman Bates or about somebody. Um, <clears throat> most significant work was probably a Jack the Ripper story, actually called Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which was published in Weird Tales in 1943, and was noteworthy because it did include, you know, some more factual mm. elements. Like we talked about that a lot when we when we did From Hell earlier this month. Is yep. is a big thing in Rippered fiction is to take real stuff and then build what you think was happening on top of it. And in this story, um, Block suggests that Jack the Ripper was an immortal being who had to kill other people to prolong his own life. So Ooh. kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. I think. Well, and, and it gives the, it gives the killer a motivation, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, and that's, that's part of the thing about Ripperology. Jack, yeah. Jack the Ripper is like, nobody knows why or who or anything. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, he's, I just found this, this other thing from an LA times article after his death that just said he liked to point out that he had sold his first story when he was 17, had adapted 39 of his stories for radio and had published more than 25 novels, 400 stories and dozens of teleplays and film scripts. Um, so that's, that's him kind of rebuking the notion that he was just the dude who wrote psycho, um, which I guess if like. Alfie Hitchcock makes a movie and it becomes one of his signature movies and it's based on your book. Like, yeah, unfortunately that's going to be what you're known for. Yeah. Like it's, that's an interesting thing about uh, not, not even one hit wonders, but like somebody who's like the one work in their, in their canon yeah. overshadows everything else yep. is you can be simultaneously known to the general populace as the guy who did psycho but then celebrated in like sci-fi and, and horror yeah. circles as this guy who had this whole other thing. It's a lot like how um, uh, Smash Mouth is, is really only known for the Shrek song uh, they have, to most they people. Have but they have several number one hits. Yeah. They have a lot of albums. Yeah, you should and go. they keep cranking them out. You so. should go tweet at them about it. Uh, you, the lot, listener. <laughs> it's a lot like Smash Mouth. Yeah. But be careful. You, the listener, and also me. You, me. <laughs> Wait. Andrew. Uh-oh. I think I need a break because I've lost the thread. Can we come back okay, in a few minutes? Great. Okay, cool. <laughs> Andrew, I can't sleep. I'm having so many nightmares. <laughs> From all the spooks that From we're From all the spooky stories that we're reading. I can't sleep. Help. Okay. What should I do? Our sponsor. 
Well, our sponsor this week is Brooklyn, and that's right, the sheet guys. You spend one third of your life in sheets, and you should want them to be insanely comfortable. That's true. I think I I do want um, that. Brooklyn and Sheets were named the winner of the best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. They've got great reviews from Business Insider, Apartment Therapy, and Men's Health, and they've got thirty-five thousand five-star reviews more than any other online bedding company. And there's they're servicing half a million happy sleepers and counting. Whoa. Wouldn't you like to be the half a million and first? I happy would. Sleeper? Tell me why I should be. I don't. Well, you're because they're good, right? They're good sheets. They so are you can sleeping on them. They are good. Let me pull back the spooky curtain. I already got these sheets, and they are pretty good. Tell me about. Tell me about the sheets. So the cool thing with Brooklyn and sheets is you can order a set, but you can like mix and match. So if you go to the store, normal store, you're like, oh, I got to buy this whole set, and I don't. Like, I want a different color for my pillowcase. I want a different color for my duvet. And it's harder to do that um, and still have it be affordable. So Brooklyn and makes those options available to you. And then you get them in the mail and you put them on your bed and they are pretty comfortable. I have gotten some good <laughs> night's rest on my Brooklyn and sheets. Um, even if I'm having nightmares, I wake up in my nice comfy sheets. So if you want to get some good, good sheets, you should go to brooklinen.com. And guess what, Craig? I got a deal for you and for everybody else. Sounds a special good. deal just for you and everyone who's listening. Heck yeah. You can get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code overdue at brooklinen.com. Uh, Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping to use promo code overdue at brooklyn.com the only way only way that's b-r-o-o-k-l-i-n-e-n.com promo code overdue brooklyn these are the best sheets ever to wake up from a nightmare in (laughs) that's quite a Oh my god, I'm stuck in the ad zone. I want to get out. Andrew, I have to tell you about another thing. What is it? You like science, right? I love science. Good. Would you listen to a podcast about it? If it was pretty good. Well, let me tell you about a (laughs) podcast made by one of our Patreon supporters, Grayson and Allison, another of our Patreon supporters. (laughs) (laughs) They make a podcast called Buffs Talk Science. It's a podcast about science from uh, CU, Boulder, and beyond. It is meant to be good for people who want to hear about serious science from goofy scientists. That, that That's Grayson and Allison. Um, each that's ep- like Bill Nye. That's the Bill Nye vibe. Yeah. Or are we allowed to mention competing scientists <laughs> in this ad? Will they get upset with us? Okay. Each episode <laughs> features a conversation about recent science stories in the news and an interview with a brilliant and charming scientist guest. Recent episode called I'm a Bleed Me Dry Slowly Person. They talk about stories involving soil microbes and earthquakes. And then they talk to a dude about his research on bacterial electrophysiology. Um, each episode features a couple of pals talking about something they care about and engaging in the occasional giggle fest. New episodes come out every other Thursday, and the website is buffstalkscience.com, B-U-F-F-S talkscience.com, and the Twitter handle is at buffstalksci. So give it a shot if you want to learn about some science. <laughs> That's a psycho noise. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about psycho. 
before well, I stab you in the shower. Whoa. Okay. Oh, wait. Sorry. Spoilers for Psycho. We are going to spoil the crap out of this book because chances are you've already seen the movie. And if not, it's a cultural touchstone. You should learn about it. So this book was published, what, in 1959? Yeah, 1959. Um, and it was... So there were murders that took place in 1957 in Plainview... Um, Wisconsin, I think. Um, You're talking about Ed Gein? I am. I'm talking about Edward Theodore Gein, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield Ghoul. I might have said Plainview earlier. My mistake. Um, it. We think that Block did not necessarily know about these murders when he started writing Psycho, but there is like an allusion to it in the book. Um, and like when he was getting it ready for publication, the murders had become public knowledge. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, he, Norman Bates, the, the antagonist in the story, such as there is one, right? Yeah. He's, he's Cause the I'm, I'm main curious character. To, and yeah. we'll talk about what that relationship's like. Um, but yeah, it's, it's based partly on Ed Gein. Um, and then also allegedly Calvin Beck, who is a publisher of some of Block's works. I don't really, yeah, I don't know, have any more information on that particular one. But um, Block says that you know Norman Norman Bates is not supposed to be an exact one to one Gein no clone. It's 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 more the idea of a killer being just somebody in small town America who blends in with everybody else pretty much. And, and you don't see them coming until it's too late. Yes. Um, he has, he has this quote, um, thus the real life murderer was not the role model for my character, Norman Bates. Ed Gein didn't own or operate a motel. Ed Gein didn't kill anyone in the shower. Ed Gein wasn't into taxidermy. Ed Gein didn't stuff his mother, keep her body in the house, dress it in a drag outfit or adopt an alternative personality uh, these were the functions and characteristics of Norman Bates, and Norman Bates didn't exist until I made him up out of my own imagination, I add, which is probably the reason so few offer to take showers with me. <laughs> Robert Block. He Bobby seems, Block. He seems like a cool dude, I'm just going to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, so this book, yeah, so you gave, like, there's a couple of big reveals. It's interesting reading this book in 2019, knowing the central twist of Psycho. Um, so I'm going to like lay out a little bit of what the beginning of the book kind of tells you and attempt to describe what it's like. I was trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who didn't know the twist to at least see what it would be like to read it. Yeah, I kind of want to know what you think about like how the buildup is accomplished. Yeah. And I, it, it would be impossible to... I think ask you whether you saw it coming or not. It is impossible. Yeah. Or whether somebody reading at the time would have seen it coming or not, but I can point to the moment where the book tells you what's going on. So sure. Um, so Norman Bates lives in a motel that he operates with his domineering puritanical mother. Norman Bates is kind of a middle-aged, like nobody, who lives, you know, at this motel, which is outside the town of Fairvale and in the Midwest. And it is like, they should have moved the motel because they put in a new highway and now no one comes here anymore. So I think mm-hmm. at some point in the book, they talk about 
uh, maybe getting, you know, half a dozen people a week or something, which really begs some questions about how they're keeping the lights on. But I don't, you know, you can't really think about that. <laughs> um, you know, there's like a, a laundry service that comes and does the linens and stuff. And I have no idea how they're making the money to do this. Um, but so they are. And you get some snippets early on in the book of Norman arguing with his mother who just kind of hates him and thinks he's a failure. And, you know, the the big quote is like, ne- you never had any gumption, did you, boy? Like, you didn't become anything. And she, like, calls him a failure with women. And, you know, later in the book, Norman is looking at himself in the mirror and thinking about how his mother has, like, yelled at him for ever looking at himself and, like, looking at his own body. And that's, like, sinning. And how could you do that? Um, yeah, there is. Um, it's pretty like if you're if you're looking for one of the many, many, many psycho inspired touchstones in pop culture. If if you're thinking about Principal Skinner and his mother, oh sure, that's a good one. Their their relationship is is explicitly inspired by Psycho, in insofar as they make a Psycho reference out of it pretty early on. But yeah, that that dynamic is the same. Yes, much. yes, and and he baits even like. It's like a close third person, I think. He even will talk about how the fact that like he is this... When he's talking to his mother, he feels like a child, and he can't really stand up to her, and he should be able to stand up to her, but he kind of like Stockholm Syndrome lets it happen. Um, he likes to read a lot of books, and his mom berates him for just being in his books all the time, and, and he's read everything from like occult stuff to you know, interesting fiction to books on philosophy and psychology. Um, Sounds like us. Yeah, it does sound like us. We Uh, read a lot of stuff. And she says to him... But your mom's nice. Yeah, my mom is very nice. (laughs) And your mom is nice. Um, Cool. We got nice moms. Yes. um, They do not do any of the stuff that Norman's mom does to him in this book. Um, She says, you hate people because you're afraid of them. And she says that you shouldn't read filthy psychology. And... He says, psychology isn't filthy, mother. Psychology, he calls it. A lot you know about psychology. I'll never forget that time you talked so dirty to me, never, to think that a son could come to his own mother and say such things. But I was only trying to explain something. It's what they call the Oedipal situation. And I thought if both of us could just look at the problem reasonably and try to understand it, maybe things could change for the better. And I highlighted that passage because Block doesn't really explicitly <laughs> unpack it in real time. He just drops that in there to let you know that what you think is going on is definitely going on. If we could just talk about the sexual tension <laughs> in the room, mother. <laughs> mother. We could maybe get past some stuff. Yes. And there are implications um, that you find out later become facts that Norman did spend some amount of time in an institution for something. Um, And so, like, maybe that's what he's talking about here. And also that Mrs. Bates had a partner. So her husband, like, left, ran away, and then was dating this other guy who Norman calls, like, his uncle whatever, and he hated him. And that guy died due to poisoning. Um. You don't find out why or how a little bit later in the book. Suffice to say, Norman is alone with his mother. She never leaves the house. And you, the reader, are left to go, well, that's kind of strange. It is kind of strange. And also the Oedipus thing kind of invites yeah. 
some stuff. It's not, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? It's not <laughs> great. Um, so when you said earlier that like is Norman the antagonist or whatever, like it's an interesting structure of the book in that I don't get a sense. I'm going to introduce a bunch of characters to you in a second, and none of Please them, do. none of them are like the main main character in your horror movie like think about you know my best touchstone for this stuff honestly maybe just because of when we grew up is like scream like your nev campbell from scream the main character no one is like their opposite norman the entire book um because of you know people getting killed and whatnot um, yeah, so like, whereas I think in the in the film, Marion Crane, who I believe is the is the woman in the shower, yes, is more of a more of a protagonist. Like I think the film is centered more on her and and less on Norman. Like Norman is just kind of a weirdo who's there and then does bad stuff. Yeah, so I think by starting the book with Norman's perspective, you are at least keyed into like think about what he's up to all the time. So you do meet Mary in like the next passage. And it's a really quick and effective character sketch that Block gives you. She's a woman who is on the run. Um, she works at a real estate company and she stole $40,000 in cash. Whomst among us. <laughs> she was supposed... Imagine, you know when, what's his name, the brother in um, It's a Wonderful Life is supposed to deposit the money, but he's lost it. Oh, Uncle Billy? Yeah. Imagine if instead of losing it, he just skipped down <laughs> all the money. <laughs> Well, Uncle Billy wouldn't do that. No, he's just he's he's stupid. got problems. He's not malicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's not malicious either. She is engaged to a dude named Sam Loomis who live. He runs a hardware store in Fairvale. He has a lot of debt that he's slowly trying to pay off. And Looms among us, also true. I really identify <laughs> with Sam Loomis in this book. Um, <laughs> and he is like promises, promises. He is like, oh, we're gonna do this thing. Um, like maybe you can move up here and be with me. Uh, she lives several towns. I think she lives down in Texas, like several towns south. Um, like you can move up here and be with me after I pay off all this debt on the hardware store. Like I'm, you know, it's the equivalent of eating like beans and ramen. Like he is just like living there, trying to you know, pay it off month by month. And she is like, well, my life stinks because my younger sister kind of went off and did her thing. My dad got hit by a car. I had to care for my mom. Then my mom died. Then my boyfriend went to serve in the armed forces in Hawaii, and I stopped getting letters from him until he sent me a wedding invitation to someone else. So well, I really... not yes. ideal. Because why would you... It's really upsetting. <laughs> why would you ghost on her and then invite her to the wedding? I don't understand. It's a really effective detail. Um, you can kind of feel the, I guess now that, now that we put it in context, you can feel the short fiction writer in this book who very effectively gives you character motivation with like a limited sketch. Um, Cause like that is such a powerful motivator and it's literally like a single line in the book. Um, uh -huh. So she really needs the Sam Loomis relationship to work out. So she runs away with $40,000 that she's supposed to put in the bank. She hasn't even told Sam this plan. She's just going to go do it because she knows that if she tells him about it, he's going to say, no, don't do it. So she's driving up. She's been driving all day. She gets to the hotel. She's got to stay at this hotel. And she uses a. It's a motel. Oh, it? excuse me. It's a motel. It's not as nice as. Yeah. It's not. It's not so ritzy. Yeah. And also, you're if you like. Ran a, if you ran a hotel, none of this would ever happen. No, that's true. Um, and she uses a fake name in the in the guest book. Um, 
And Norman is kind of like caught off guard by her and she is like he is attracted to her and he doesn't know really what to do about that. Um, he hears his mom getting very jealous that she's here and he invites Mary to dinner with him in the house on the motel property and he kind of just opens up to her about his weird relationship with his mom and she's like you could just like put her in a home dude like she sounds like she's got problems and she's pretty old so just put her in a home (laughs) (laughs) and and he kind of gets offended and he's like well we all go a little mad okay like chill out and she's like okay well this is strange i'm gonna go back to my room um and she thinks a little bit about what she's doing she has encountered a strange person in norman bates and she's like you know what i can't i can't make this big of a call with my life i did like spend 600 of this 40k on two cars that i've ditched but i'll pay it back eventually i gotta go back to my life i can't do this i'm gonna take a shower and relax and think about what i've done okay which is like okay this is an interesting turn i was expecting the the novel to have more of whatever mary was trying to do as a getaway person, but I like, I respect the like, okay, you know what? We've had this, this lark has gone too far. I guess I've just never stolen $40,000 and run away. Well, not that. Sure. You don't know my life. That's true. But I'm not, I don't, boy, it seems like she could just go anywhere else and do all this stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why she's, why she's stuck. Why is she stuck in the Podunk motel? I don't know why. Is it just the only option oh, available? The weather is, is bad. Low profile. The, the weather, weather is, is bad. bad. I forgot about that part. The weather is very bad, and she's on these back roads. She made a wrong turn, and she's got to stay here for the night before she can continue on. So that's that's so that, that's what's wrong yeah. with taking the back streets. Yeah. That is what's wrong with taking the back streets. You're right. <laughs> we um, finally found it. <laughs> so she she decides to take a shower, and she is. Uh, like enjoying herself herself she's relaxing she's in she's looking in the mirror and like enjoying her body to kind of contrast with norman's whole deal where he's very ashamed of himself um, yeah and this this being the late 50s you can't have a woman being comfortable in her own body no. without like bad stuff happening correct right? now now she is staying in the room that norman has a creepy little peephole into so he is watching her for a bit and it's upsetting and okay uh then she kind of gets out of view and he's like mad about it and then leaves and he's i think he's drinking that's on you my yeah. dude like you cut the peephole yeah you 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 run this motel you cut as many peepholes as you want yeah. you don't need to get all mad about it not condoning peepholes but you can't hold it against the i peeps. know i'm not condoning peepholes i'm just like don't make a peephole and then get mad about the deficiencies in your own people correct it's your motel norman suck it up she whiz so he starts drinking he's all upset about their like failed dinner and we cut a kind of cut away from his perspective and so this is where we get to the famous shower scene that is also in the movie psycho and i wanted i'll talk briefly about like the differences that i noticed i did watch the scene the other day but i'll give you the moment she's in the shower um she turns on the water The roar was deafening, and the room was beginning to steam up. That's why she didn't hear the door open, or note the sound of footsteps. And at first, when the shower curtains parted, the steam obscured the face. 
Then she did see it there, just a face, peering through the curtains, hanging in midair like a mask. A headscarf concealed the hair, and the glassy eyes stared inhumanely. But it wasn't a mask. It couldn't be. The skin had been powdered dead white, and the two hectic spots of rouge centered on the cheekbones. It wasn't a mask. It was the face of a crazy old woman. Mary started to scream, and then the curtains parted further, and a hand appeared, holding a butcher's knife. It was the knife that a moment later cut off her scream and her head yikes yikes indeed uh it's pretty messed up and it's pretty quick uh all things considered so i watched the psycho the movie there's no beheading that was probably would have been prohibitively expensive no it's just like it, it's if i recall correctly the the actual stabbing and death is not portrayed on screen it's like the blood running into the drain yeah that's how we're meant to how we're meant to understand what's happening there is a there is a couple shots of the knife moving towards marion's body and there's one shot where it almost looks like it pierces her stomach but it's more of a like a a big stabbing that does go on longer than you would expect uh and then whoever's doing the stabbing kind of runs away and you see some stylized shots of like, yeah, the bloody water and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's interesting that the the scene does center like pretty heavily on the scream, as does the book, um, which is a cool thing that he carried over. Um, yeah, I think that's like if you want to do an on screen death, but you don't actually want to portray the the moment of dying. like yeah. it's. It's hard to, it, I, I imagine it's hard to do that in a way where it doesn't look, just look like you have, you have edited someone to death. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you, like it just becomes like a cheesy mystery science theater moment where you're told something happens and then you're shown a couple of shots in quick succession. And then the thing is just done without you having seen anything. True, 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 true. So yeah, sc- scream plus uh, blood drain, pretty effective. Pretty effective because it's stylized. So you, you're yeah. not like, oh, they cut out the good stuff. It's like, oh, it's the experience of the stabbing. Um, pretty effective editing. So the the book then smash cuts us to Bates being like, oh no, what happened? What did my mom do? Oh my no, mom, I, my mom I, did it. I peeked through the wall and my mom killed her. Um, and we get some like, some weird language where uh, he's like his mom is berating him for being like a weak man who girls would laugh at and he's kind of feeling bad about women. He decides he has to protect his mom. So he puts Mary in the back of her car and sinks it in the convenient swamp behind his motel. You gotta have a nearby swamp. <laughs> he couldn't even drive it to the swamp behind the motel across town. No. Like it had to be, he had to put it in his own swamp. Had to be that one. Um, so then we smash cut to Sam at the hardware store. Um, and Mary's sister, uh, Lila, shows up. And she's like, yo, where is she? she- Are these... I know we met Hardware Hank before. Had we met Mary's sister before? We had not spent time with either character before. We'd heard of both of them through Mary's okay. story. Okay. But we okay. had not met okay. either of them. So right. I remember you mentioning the hardware Yeah, so and this is where I talk about the book being like, I think we're maybe a third to... A third of the way through when Mary dies. So it does feel like significant that we are now moving on to new people. And so they. Yeah, because that that feels like I don't remember when in the movie it takes place, but that feels like a 
uh, two thirds of the way through the book. Yes. Event. Yes. Well, and it feels like an, an odd thing to have not spent any time with these other characters before this story picks up. It, it's an interesting structure. Um, so sh- they I wonder if we're seeing blocks like short story yeah. pedigree kind of shining through a little I bit. I think so. Yeah. Um, so they kind of team up. They bond a little bit over some, I think it's a little clunky, like identifying classical music over the radio moments where like sure, 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 sure. she works at a record store and he keeps being like, oh, is this like Brahms fifth or something? And she's like, you're just a simple hardware man. How do you know this tune? Um, <laughs> but they, they strike you up. You understand a hammers, not symphonies. Yes. And so they're an odd couple. And then right behind her is a dude named Milton Arbogast who is essentially a Pinkerton. He works on behalf of the like insurance company for the real estate people she stole the money folks from. that she stole that money yeah. from, yeah. And so we are not calling the cops about Mary being gone because maybe we can just settle this if we find her and we don't have to get law enforcement involved because if law enforcement gets involved, that'd be bad for the company. Um, and Sam and Lila are like, okay, I guess we don't have any other options. Mr. Arbogast is going to take care of it. Well, of course, he goes around town. He ends up at the motel as like the last place in town that he hasn't looked. He finds that she was there under an assumed name because he matched the handwriting. He sees Bates's mother in the window. And then no more Arbogast. He's gone. He gets killed, too. He is an Arbogast. He is an Arbogast. He goes into the house to try and talk to Mrs. Bates. Um, Mrs. Bates cuts him with a razor until he dies, and then we put him in the swamp, too. (laughs) Wait, do we see the razor cutting, or do we just never see him again? We see that, yes. Uh, He goes into the house. Wait, yes to which? Yes, yes, we see the beginning of the razor cutting, and we are meant to understand that he dies from it. So it's not supposed to be a mystery. No. Oh, no. It is. The mystery is still the twist right yes the mystery is still the twist at this point when you see this violence norman is like oh my god mom no um how how could you do this mom and so he dumps arbogast in the swamp that swamp (laughs) how can you even sink more bodies in the swamp it's not just bodies he's putting people's whole cars in there man it's pretty good pretty soon you're gonna be able to build another motel out there he's just got so much stuff in the swamp and so he resolves to put mama in the basement because he knows that someone else is going to come around looking and if she's in the basement people can't find her so he puts mama in the basement for her own is good that the problem is that people can find her it's not her wandering out of her room to kill folks well, in the shower if the, yes that's true um cut back to sam and lila they try to enlist the local sheriff to help them out and this is where we get the skinny on norman bates the sheriff is like, it couldn't. What do you mean the guy saw? Like, because they were like talking on the phone. He's like, what do you mean the guy saw his mom in a window? That dude's mom's been dead for years. She died. Spooky. She died from poison the same time her almost husband died from poison. And then Norman had to go to like a mental institution. He's fine now. He's just a he's just a weirdo who runs a uh, a motel. Like, don't worry about him. And they're like, we that's should re- worry about him. Uh, that's redundant. Yeah. You can just say a guy who runs a motel. <laughs> Fair enough. Have you ever been to a creepy motel? What's the creepiest motel you've ever been to? The creepiest motel, man. Once for an Apple event, I think one of the, I think maybe the first one I did, I had to find a hotel in the area, and the, and the, 
The thing about Apple events that are in Cupertino as opposed to actual San Francisco, which is like an hour away, is there Cupertino is a dead zone. There's nothing there. <laughs> and so I didn't know. Like usually when you go to cover these events every year, you find like, well, here's the good hotel. Here's like the bar that everybody hangs out at after. Like it's a it's a thing that you'd figure out as you go. Um, but the first year I went to a Motel 6. Oh, no. We needed to save a lot of money. And there was a pool that nobody ever went in. Like nobody ever goes in. Nobody ever comes out. And the whole place smelled like cigarettes, even though yeah. I feel like non-smoking inside has been a law uh-huh. for a while. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to burn it down and rebuild it to get rid of the smell of cigarettes. So th- that's probably I went, the creepiest motel. I once arrived at a at a motel outside of scranton pennsylvania at two in the morning while i was did you see did you see jim i see jim did you see jim and pam yeah they were dead on the side of the road (laughs) it was a terrible motel i rolled in and the office was closed and there was just a man the the office oh my god there was a man (laughs) behind a a glass pane that had a sign in it that said night window and that man didn't talk to you. He just accepted your reservations and gave you a key. It was awful. <laughs> that place sucked. <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe you saw a ghost and you, had, you didn't tell anybody about <laughs> it. it. I've been so scared to tell anyone woke, about it. If you woke up in the morning and went to the desk, they'd be like, well, we, oh. haven't, had, we haven't had a night window in 20 years. Oh, snap. The next morning, I was, I was okay, I'm going to get back to the book in a second, I promise. But sure, I forgot the fact that the next morning, this was a show I was working on. One of the actors came to me and said, hey, I can't find my phone. Can you check with the staff and see if anybody found it? And like people at like cleaning crew had been like cleaning out people's rooms. And I go up to the desk, and it's the same guy from the night window only six hours later. So did he sleep? I don't know. And he, I was like, hey, did anybody find a phone with like a pink case or whatever on it? And he just pulls it out of his shirt pocket and goes, is it this one? I was like, yes. <laughs> Ghost? Or is he just a phone thief? Also, uh, ghosts can be thieves, too. He's a resourceful night ghost. Anyway. Man. So the book builds to like this climax where Sam Loomis and Lila Crane, Lila Crane, um, are like, they're like, oh, it's got to be Norman Bates. We know that she was at the motel. Uh, the the Pinkerton guy is gone after he went to the motel. We got to go. There's just a body rising out of the swamp <laughs> in the true. backyard. Um, Some mountain of dead bodies. And we like the two of them get split up. Um, they like they try to stay. Uh, never split the party. I know they try to stay overnight. Um, Norman is, is like drinking heavily because he knows that like this is this becomes a trigger for him. But he's like drinking heavily because he's very under stress of like people figuring out that his mom's a murderer or something. And he's like peeping at them through the wall while they discuss their plan. They find an earring that confirms that Mary was there, and she's like, "Okay, you stall." Uh, Norman, I'm going to go back to town and get the sheriff or something. And Sam has a scene with Norman where Norman is like kind of almost confessing to killing his fake uncle or whatever. Uh, And then he like knocks Sam over the head with a a bottle of liquor. And then we cut to Lila, who has not gone back to town. Instead, she is inspecting the house. And we get uh, my best analog for it is actually the scene in Silence of the Lambs where 
Jodie Foster is like going through the house. You get the like, I'm exploring the killer's house as a trope, which is kind of fun to see in this context where right because you you get the both the exploration of things where you find secrets but also the killer might come back at any correct amundo so <laughs> she is seeing the like deteriorated deteriorated rooms um throughout the house but then she goes into uh norman's mom's room and everything's perfect and there's like an indent in the bed like someone's been sleeping there but there's a bunch of like dirt in there which is kind of creepy uh, and then she goes down in the basement. She hears Norman coming in, so she tries to hide. She finds the room that has the corpse of Norman's mom in it. She starts screaming, more screaming. Um, Norman almost kills her, dressed as his mom. And then Sam and the sheriff show up just in time. And and they don't kill Norman, they, but they stop him. Um, okay. And that's, like, the climactic thing there. And then we get this, like... We get two epilogues-ish. One that is like, oh, they put Norman in an institution and we need to talk about what they found out about him. Um, which I think, as I understand in the movie, we actually get like a psychologist explaining it. In the book, Sam is recounting what he learned from visiting the people at the institution. Okay. And it's... I don't know. It's interesting. I'm sure that there are some like terms and the way it discusses like split personality disorder and stuff would not stand up, you know, 50 years later necessarily. Um, It dives into the fact that he had a traumatic, potentially sexualized relationship with his mother. Um, He couldn't handle her being dead after he killed her. So he dug her up and maybe thought she was a ghost. He had internalized a desire to be her and they used the term transvestite. Um, for that uh you know what a transvestite is don't you he says a person who dresses in the clothing of the opposite sex isn't that it well the way steiner explained it there's a lot more to it than that transvestites aren't necessarily homosexual but they identify themselves strongly with members of the other sex and it's just like i don't know it felt very creaky and uh, a like a curious exploration of those psychological concepts without the knowledge that we have maybe gained about people in the last 50 years. Right. Um, and, and then it goes into a, a, a diagnosis of Norman's split personalities as Norman, the little boy who he reverts to whenever he talks to Norma, him and him as his mother, and then mm-hmm. quote unquote normal, which is the presenting personality who runs the motel. Um, like an interesting way to think about it. I just didn't really love any of the terminology. <laughs> it just fe- yeah, yeah, it felt like a little it's, cute. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah, cute. Cute is the word because it's a. It is a little too clever in in the wordplay, mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm, but but that's just that's Block's thing. Block likes a pun. He does like so, oh yeah, you're right. He name, does like a pun. Gonna name my guy Norman so I can uh, so I can make a bunch of plays on words. That's later. fair. And then the last like epilogue is from i guess norma's perspective she's in the institution and she is like talking about how she's the only one left and and then we leave on that there's a little illusion along the way of like everyone in the community who had previously not talked about norman at all like as soon as the murders became a news story everyone had an opinion about norman bates um Mm. so you can sort of see him building towards that maybe in those later books like psycho house or whatever 
um, <laughs> wanting to talk about that as a like social thing. But it's mostly about Norman as a troubled dude who has invented a version of his mother that he's constantly in conflict with that is informed by his inability to like deal with women. Um, sure. And again, it feels very rooted in the late fifties, early sixties in like what those roles are. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's pretty breezy. We're not even at the hour mark and I hit literally everything that happens. in the book. <laughs> Sounds pretty breezy. Just some people dies. People scream. Have a few laughs. Yeah, a few laughs. Get, Not uh, really a few tucked, laughs. Just tucked into tucked into the old swamp. Oh my God, that swamp is so funny to me that he's just dumping mm-hmm. cars in that swamp over and over mm-hmm. like he's got a little swamp routine. Um, it, That's how... Why do... <laughs> I guess just swamps must have must abound in small town America. Uh, yeah. Just can't swing a dead cat without hitting a dang swamp. Oh, there's like a whole thing where they dig her car out and they find her in the trunk or whatever. And then they also find the $40,000 like untouched in the glove compartment. Because I guess I thought the, she spent a bunch of it. Well, she did spend some. It's not the full 40, but that's, you know what I mean. Oh, well, but okay. Like, it's be a little more careful. The glove sure. compartment, I guess, is waterproof. Like, no swamp juice got in there. The money's fine. I mean, that's a nice standard feature that you can get on a lot of cars these days. It's true. They're, uh, they are they just assume that the car might get dumped in a swamp, and <laughs> they're going to protect evidence when they can. Sure. It's I guess, like, the takeaway from it and maybe why it became fascinating enough to make a movie out of is that it really is a character study in Norman the Killer, and I guess that kind of informs like our fascination with characters like Hannibal Lecter, where it's like sometimes in in Hannibal Lecter's case, like he's not even always the main bad guy. He's just this like killer who we're fascinated by because we want to know how his right. mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a book that is explicitly like exploring what that might be um, using the knowledge of psychology at the time um, to dig into it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't find it super scary, probably because I knew the twist, um, though I was surprised at just the types of violence. I am very surprised that Robert Block is like, yeah, just take a butcher knife and just like cut off someone's head with it. Just like swing <laughs> and her head just flies off. It fell a you little. You get that knife nice and sharp. <laughs> nice and sharp. Yeah. You have a good grindstone in your house to make that to make that work. Uh, but yeah, if you want to know where Psycho came from, you can read this book and find out. It came from the book Psycho. That's what it is. Not Psycho 2. Not Psycho House. Psycho. Not the Chet Williamson Not book. Not the Chet Williamson book. Oh, I'll bring it back around, Chet. Um, if you, the listener, have a favorite Psycho spinoff that you need to tell us about, please send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. I'd love hey, to read it. Chet, if you were Chet Williamson, please contact if us. If you have ever played music with Chet Williamson, please let us know. Um, you can also hit us up on social at facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod. Thanks to Emma, Josh, Tabitha, Dominique, Haley, Tom, Carly, Sydney, Sonia, Miranda, Jazz, Adam, Lindsay, and many more for keeping us company on the internet throughout the week. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? I just know we're going to get so many emails from flaming Hot Chettos about how we've besmirched their favorite author slash 
lead singer. Just you took your headphones off, yeah. so you wouldn't have to hear me say more things. What'd you say? <laughs> no, I don't. Don't even tell me. Tell me about the website. <laughs> oh, you didn't hear what I said. Oh, I heard the first part. I didn't want to hear anything else. <laughs> Websites overduepodcast.com. Up there, we got links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher and many other places where fine podcasts are available Sold. for free. Um, we've also got a link to HeadGum, our podcast network. We've got a link to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. And we also have a new listener page that you can use if you are just getting into the show. And you want to uh, to see some episodes we like? Uh, so Craig, it's just about November. Yeah, so we got a we got a schedule for the people, huh? Yeah, we do. So we got a couple of things. We by the time, okay. So in a few days after this goes up, we will be posting at the end of that week our Spooktober bonus episode, which is uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas by Tim Burton. It's like a 20th anniversary picture book version that he made. So we'll be talking about that um, with our Patreon live chat. And then it'll be available on the main feed after that. And then for November, we are doing some of our Remember November motif. Um, We've got a few guests. So we have James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl coming up first with Natasha from Unspoiled, from the Unspoiled show. Um, Then we're going to be doing On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And then I don't think we had read this before, but this is kind of the one exception. We did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey with our friends from the New York Public Library at the Librarian is in. That'll be available. And then Andrew is going to attempt The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. It's been sitting on our Patreon recommendation list for a little while. I know Andrew read it so that he could write that essay when he was trying to get into college. Mm-hmm. And so I figured we'll do that. We do have some more Hellboys coming up too. Um, Purgatorio is moving along. And at the end of November, if you're not a Patreon supporter at the at the Hellboys level, you will get the next two Purgatorio episodes on the main feed there. So that's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to look forward to in the 11th month of the year. Falls over. Kick it into holiday time. Yeah. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to our dumb podcast. And until we talk to you next week, until we spook you next year, honestly, try to keep the spooky spirit alive and also try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast. It's always Smash Mouth with you. Always. Not always Smash Mouth. But just, I don't I barely talk about Smash Mouth at all on this podcast. On this podcast. <laughs> and the other podcasts I talk about bones mostly. That's so, true. Like, yeah, yeah. There's not mean. a Smash Mouth TV show for you to What if there was? No. What if there was? And it was all about taking the back streets. Okay. Um, this is diners, drive-ins, and dives, and today we're taking the back streets.